Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract? fine print or you finally want to get that will done legal shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iheart pplsi does not provide legal representation or advice see a plan for complete terms you know our trusted partner tirerack.com for their fast free shipping free road hazard protection convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Bridgestone Weatherpeak. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. The Volume. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort, performance tires for sporty handling, all-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Bridgestone tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Bridgestone test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. And now newly minted first-round picks like number one overall Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. If you're into cutting-edge digital collectibles, don't miss Panini's NFT platform at nft.paniniamerica.net with some of their first opportunities to collect this year's rookie class. Whether you're a collector of physical cards or a digital enthusiast, Panini has you covered. Check out their most popular brands like Prism, Select, Donruss, and more, including Panini Instant Cards celebrating the biggest sports moments on cards right after they happen, such as Draft Night Instance. Visit PaniniAmerica.net or download the Panini Direct app today. Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of The Colin Cowherd Show. This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Introducing DirecTV Stream, the best of live TV and on demand, which means you can get all your favorite sports, movies, and shows together. So you can watch new episodes of your favorite reality shows live or binge old episodes on demand. Either way, get ready for some drama. And the best part? DirecTV Stream has no annual contract. DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together at directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet and compatible device. Content varies by package and location. Restrictions apply. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the College Football Recap brought to you by the J-Boys Show. Make sure you are subscribed on the Volume YouTube channel. Uh, also, as well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, however you're listening to us. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, coming and hanging out another Sunday to kind of break down you know, the main action when you look around, you know, and across the country in the college football world. And while the slate of games wasn't exactly the Thanksgiving entree that, that we've had for, you know, I, w- I would say more weekends than not, there was still some sneaky good games, uh, some very interesting happenings. Uh, you have, you know, some of these teams at the top getting tested. Uh, one breaking against an Illinois team that, you know, it shocked me with everything that Brett Bielema had said going into the week. Not that he was wrong. It just he kind of said the quiet part out loud. But I do want to start in the SEC, and I want to start with number 12 Ole Miss beating LSU 31-17. to and, and this wasn't the the sexiest game or the, the cleanest game uh, of all time. But Ole Miss, who's very beat up, you didn't see Braylon Sanders. Matt Corral was obviously limited. Drummond stepped up with eight catches for 93 yards. Uh, but outside of that, it wasn't an explosive often offensive perfor- uh, performance from Ole Miss, but it didn't have to be. And I thought defensively, they took away the, the few things that LSU was able to have success with last week against Florida. You saw LSU come back with the double pull, uh, the counter, GT, stuff like that. But Ole Miss and Chance Campbell, if you looked, they spilled it a lot. It's amazing after a week of film what happens. Uh, they didn't box it every time. I thought they did a good job of making everything go lateral. And then when you look at Max Johnson in the passing game, you know he was 13-21 for 150 yards, but no touchdowns. The only LSU quarterback to throw a touchdown was Garrett Nussmeyer coming in at the end, the young guy. But they made Max Johnson beat him 
on all three levels of the field in the passing game. And when you do that and you force somebody to do that, you make them have to be a lot more perfect than what they usually are. You took away the run game. You made them one-dimensional. I mean, Ed Orgeron even said it at the end. I mean, you look at the numbers. Ole Miss, uh, excuse me, uh, LSU ends up with 77 rushing yards. Uh, Ole Miss ran it up and down the field. I mean, you had Snoop Connor go for 14 and 117. Had Jerry and Ely go for 12 and, and 100, basically, in a touchdown. Parrish, 10 for 32. Wasn't an explosive performance by him. And Corral was 12 for 24 with a touchdown on the ground as well. So when you look at this Ole Miss team, and we're setting up, and I'm going to go over the matchups for next week because uh, there's some really good ones, a lot, be- a lot better than what we had this week. But when you look at Ole Miss, they're trying to become a little bit more of a complete team. They're still really banged up. Uh, and it's going to make for a heck of a week next week when they go to Jordan-Hare and Auburn, uh, a confident Auburn team. They're going to be ranked in the top 10. I'm sure Auburn will be close to top 15, somewhere around there, setting up for an unbelievable matchup. But a lot of it's going to come down to Matt Corral and his health. We'll see where Braylon Sanders is. We'll see where some of these other weapons are for Ole Miss. But if Matt Corral cannot run around effectively or at least enough to where you have to honor it with the spy or you have to try and bring pressure or this that and the other I would not be surprised to see that Ole Miss and Auburn game come down to the wire of wires and I'm interested to see that line because with all the injuries you know I wouldn't be shocked if it was one one and a half somewhere around there so uh, at the end of the day when you look at at this Ole Miss team Are they top 10 worthy? I think they are, but they need to get healthy quickly. They need to get healthy very quickly uh, because at the end of the day, they don't have enough bullets in the gun to take a bunch of injuries and not be able to bounce back. I do want to touch on Cincinnati and Navy for a second. Uh, Watch Cincinnati. It's the first time I've watched them all year where they looked kind of miscombobulated. Uh, I think a triple option team will do that to you. Uh, They came out, Navy gave them their best shot. You know, we always talk about Alabama and having to take the punches and you're going to, everybody's going to get up to play Alabama. Well, if you're a group of five, Cincinnati is your Bama. Every time Cincinnati goes to play somebody, they're going to get their best shot. That's the way they look at it. Now, I'm not saying that Cincinnati and Bama are on the same level. They're not. And I'll get to that later in the recap. But when Cincinnati's going to go play UCF and Navy and all these other teams that, you know, you have some group of fives that are more successful than the others, but they're going to get up to play them. Like everybody gets up to play Bama. Like everybody's getting up to play Georgia. It's just the natural hierarchy of competition, especially in college football. So I know Desmond Ritter wasn't great. Uh, had some throws, especially in the intermediate game that that he wants back. But you you went to a triple option team that has a lot of pride, that's won a lot of games uh, under Coach Ken up there at Navy. You won 27 to 20, got a little hairy at the end. You know, Navy getting that onside kick and then throwing an interception. But you survived. But you survived. And if you look at the rest of Cincinnati's schedule, I think it's going to get interesting at some points. And if they go undefeated, they're going to be in. But I do want to say this. Cincinnati is not the second best team in the country. Right now, I don't think they're the third. I think they're the fourth. And, and, you know, I think if they played Ohio State right now on a neutral side or at Cincinnati or, or obviously, you know, in the horseshoe, I like Ohio State in that game. 
especially with the way that C.J. Stroud's playing. That offense is really, really clicking, and they have the athletes to be able to do it. But to me, you have Georgia, you have Alabama, you have Ohio State, and you have Tennessee. Or excuse me, Cincinnati. We're going to get to Tennessee in a second. But, but I just don't see them right now as a top-two team in the country. It just is what it is. Now let's go back to the best conference in the country. And I don't want to bounce around too much here, but you know we didn't have a plethora of amazing games or matchups, even though football always surprises you, especially college football. <coughs> Excuse me. Tennessee and Alabama. I had the final score. I thought it was end up being 52 to 10, 52 to 14, somewhere around there. You end up with 52 to 24. Now, how did we get there? Because you got to be able to look at the whole picture. Can't look at this thing from one half. Can't look at it from one quarter. You got to look at the whole painting. Tennessee came into the game, and in my opinion, physically, at least early. And they caught Alabama sleeping a couple times. So I'm going to get to that. Tennessee really showed up. But that's what that's what's going to happen against when you play Alabama. And I don't want that to take credit away from Tennessee and Josh Heupel. I mean, they had Bama bust three coverages. Now, there's different ways to bust coverages. When you look at the first two, that was just a true busted coverage. You're supposed to be covering this guy and you're not, or you're supposed to be in this zone or this area and you're not. And it just so happened to be the same area of the field the first two times. Down there in the red zone when they hit the touchdown, basically on the skinny. Uh, then you saw the second one, basically the same thing. Uh, with getting no help over the top. First time you got no help from, help from the inside out and you still didn't trail right. But the third one, Josh Job just wasn't looking. It's a busted coverage, but Josh Job just wasn't looking. So it was 21 points that Tennessee scored because of busted coverages. Now, they still scored them. It was all three of Hennon Hooker's touchdown passes. I mean, it went 19 to 28 for 282, three touchdowns and interception. But this Bama team, when you watch them, and everybody makes mistakes, but especially defensively, I'm going to get to the offensive line in a minute. They're just not what they usually are. And I know I know, there's Alabama fans that are watching the game that, that agree with me. Probably more than don't. The, the front seven for Alabama, defensively, is going to continue to get tested. And if they're busting coverages in the back end, Teams can score a decent amount of points against Alabama, and you look at what potentially could be a Georgia and Alabama matchup, and you say, oh, well, now Georgia's got to play a, you know, a real defense. That's true. Alabama, we know, has really good players and coaches. But I don't see Georgia having a hard time right now scoring 30 points against this team. Not that it would be easy, but the run game would be there. We've seen that. The way Christian uh, Harris and Henry Toa Toa have played, that front seven, you know, in general, play action looks like it's going to be there because you're going to have to sell safeties to the run. And, I mean, uh, Alabama to me, Alabama to me has the best shot to have the most success against Georgia's defense. Now, what does that success look like? Is it, in my opinion, 24 points? Yes. 
but I don't see anybody scoring over 24 points against Georgia. I've said it since week one, since I watched him the first time. And Bryce went off. He was 31 of 43, 370 yards, two touchdowns. You know, Brian Robinson Jr., over 100 yards again, 26 for 107 and three tuds. Bryce Young, two rushing touchdowns. We know Alabama's good. The question is how good. The question is how good. And right now, there are just some spots on that team that look very, very mortal. But Alabama will continue to improve. When you have a roster that's that talented, you're able to do that. That team will continue to take the coaching. Don't think you're going to see that many busted coverages in a game again, I promise you. But it's just, and, and I know you guys feel me on this, typically when you have watched Alabama, and, and this is what spoils, you know, most has spoiled a lot of Alabama fans in a good way. I mean that in a good light, about as good as spoiled could possibly mean. It's just not as dominant as it normally is. And there's years like this. I mean, look at Clemson. Look at this year in general, really, outside of Georgia. It's just that type of year. But Alabama handled business, 52-24, still ended up covering, as they always do. And if you're Tennessee, you know, I got to take my hat off to Hendon Hooker. I mean, that guy's tough. That guy, that guy is tougher than, than me doing a calculus problem blindfolded. I mean, unreal. I mean, the guy takes hits, was beat up last week. You know, the numbers weren't horrible for him through the air. He did he did, did a lot, did a lot. But Tennessee, in my opinion, was never going to win that game. Held up early, got the fumble in the red zone. You know, I mean, you look at some of the receiving stats. I mean, Tillman, seven catches for 150 and a touchdown. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people would have saw that at the beginning of the game. So a big one for Alabama just to hold on. They rolled to their 15th victory in a row over Tennessee. At this point, it's just like running into Debo. I mean, if you're Tennessee and you're running into Bama, I mean, they're snatching your chain. They're taking your bike, you know, asking you how much money you have in your pockets. And, and I will stand by the fact that, and, and this is to quote, Tyler Siski, a guest on our show, former Alabama and Ole Miss coach. The Tennessee-Alabama game is now a tradition, not a rivalry. And I agree with him 100%. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now to South Carolina A&M really quickly. A&M destroyed them. I mean, South Carolina you know, scored 14 late. They had, gosh, I think at one point in the fourth quarter, as you know, we were watching it in garbage time, and they had 11 total yards. And I'm not going to sit here and make fun of Shane Beamer and, and the, their personnel because it is what it is. He's got to get his guys in there. And until that happens, especially early this year, because he inherited, outside of Clark Lee, probably the worst roster in the SEC. And and I try and say that with love, but it's hard for me to say that with love. That uh, They're just not ready yet. Uh, up front are on the outside, even though they do got a couple backs that, that I really like. The white, the Zaquandre Z- White kid is a stud. We know Kevin Harris is a really good player, even though he really hasn't lived up to what he did last year. Uh, and, and again, guys, if you look around the rest of the SEC, I mean, Arkansas destroys Pine Bluff, Mississippi State, you know, <clears throat> D-Pants Vanderbilt, 45-6, to six, and it could have been a lot worse than that. 
But if you look at the broad and national scope of some of the games that we had Saturday, you know, some of them snuck up on people. Oklahoma and Kansas. I watched this whole game, the whole game from start to finish. And when you look at Oklahoma and this defense, and I know they stepped up late, we first have to say Kansas is not a good football team. They're not. Now, Bean can run it a little bit. They've got some guys in spots. But there's a reason why they're 1-6. and There's a reason for that. And Oklahoma, not that they, they didn't show up. They showed up, but that was it. Kansas treated this like their Super Bowl. You know, they had all tens of people starting out in the game in the stands, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're playing well, and it starts to fill up, you know, Vanderbilt style. Hey, wait a minute, guys. We have a second quarter surge of fans. Vandy's only down seven. So if you're Oklahoma, Caleb Williams, and we talked about it all last week, he was due to struggle for a week. He was due to, to have a, a game, whether it be early, whether it be late, where he was forcing stuff, trying to do too much, this, that, and the other. But just not a lot of people thought it was going to come against Kansas. And nobody thought that Kansas was going to shut out Oklahoma for the first half. And here's what I will say. A lot of things can be true at once. Caleb Williams is going to be a very good player. The play he made on fourth down was legal and a huge play and won them the game. The runs he has, breaking tackles, this, that, and the other, we know how special he is athletically. But Oklahoma as a team, as an overall team, is not good enough to not show up and play every week. And you've seen that. And you've seen that. Now at halftime, I'm sure Lincoln Riley was ripping them up and down. Alex Grinch was talking about how they're going to steal Christmas this time, not him. And they scored 35 points in the second half and held Kansas to 13. But this should not have been a game. Should not have been a game. And it wasn't like Kansas was reinventing the wheel offensively. They were just running a bunch of zone read and play action actions with Josh Bean, which is what they've done the whole year. It wasn't like they just came to the game like, all right, we're going to do something totally different. All right, we've been, we've been abstract painters, and it's worked for our whole life. But today we're going to be, I don't know, finger painters. I don't know all the different names for artists, obtuse and acute, even though I think those are, those are triangles. Not paintings. But the point is, Kansas didn't do anything different than what they've normally done. And Oklahoma is going to slip up. And this will be a wake-up call for them, and that's great. I'm just telling you right now. And it's probably going to be against Oklahoma State. Last game of the year. But Oklahoma is exactly who we thought they have been. Now, are they better with Caleb Williams? I think so. Does it open up the run game a little more for the backs when the quarterback can run? Yes. Is he a better thrower than Spencer Rattler? I would say, you know, right now in this current space, yes, but potential-wise, not sure. But this Ole Miss team is not, or this Oklahoma team is not beating Georgia. This Oklahoma team is not beating Alabama. This Oklahoma team is not beating Ohio State. And I don't think this Oklahoma team beat Cincinnati. I think they beat them. I think it'd be five and five if they played ten times. 
But I'll take Cincinnati if they played right now. I would. And, and you know, we talked with Jason Kersey from The Athletic. We're going to continue to talk about Oklahoma uh, as well throughout the, throughout the season and throughout next week. But at some point, it's going to happen. I don't see Oklahoma going undefeated throughout the season. I just don't. I don't see it. I really don't. And love Caleb Williams and his potential. But this team, to me, they're primed for a loss. Ain't no now. Ain't no now. Are they the number three team in the country? I don't think so. I'm going to tell you who I think is the number three team in the country. Ohio State. C.J. Stroud. And I know that the competition hasn't been fantastic since the Oregon loss. And we have to remember, and we can never forget, that C.J. Verdell was on that Oregon team that went up there and beat Ohio State. That was a big piece. C.J. Stroud's grown up a little bit since then. He has. He's grown up a little bit since then. And they waltz into Indiana. And I know Indiana's not exactly, you know, the the Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs. But they got guys on scholarship, too. And C.J. Stroud is really getting into his back lately. Another big game for him, 21-28, 266 yards, four touchdowns. When you compare these quarterback stats, it's it's mind-boggling from Indian Ohio State. So, so just for an example, C.J. Stroud, like I said, 21-28, 270 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Tuttle from Indiana, four of seven, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Man. Those are two different type numbers. Those are, those are, those are on two different uh, leverage scales, I guess you could say. But if you watch the way that Ohio State did it, you know, through the air, it was pretty, I thought, through the ground, they were pretty even. Henderson went nine for 81. Williams, eight for 60. Prior, 11 carries for 48 yards. Nothing beautiful. Nothing gorgeous. I had an Ohio State minus 12 and a half for the first half. Looked down, it was 44 to seven and a half. I was like, yeah, that's a cover. Call in prime. We got to cover. But I think Ohio State is, you know, I think Ryan Day does such a good job of just keeping steady, even after the loss against Oregon. Even after the loss against Oregon. You look around the landscape now, you know, Penn State coming up for Ohio State, and I don't want to jump the gun too much. Game looks a little bit different than it did last week, but we're going to get to know a little bit more about Ohio State. And we're going to see how healthy Clifford is for Penn State. So that's something really to keep an eye on uh, for next week. And like I said, I'm going to get to the slate next week. But Ohio State rolls, and man, they're looking good. And I want to stay in the Big Ten and shout out to our co-host, David Cohn, Michigan grad, former Michigan quarterback. They handle Northwestern 33-7, to and it's another week. It's another dub. We know McCarthy looked good, a little glimpse of the future. You know, but right now, if you look at Michigan, they're just doing what they have to do to win. And we know the schedule is about to get tougher. But you're 7-0, got swag back, going to East Lansing next week. I'm telling you, next week's slate of games are pretty freaking good, people. Some people will downplay them, but they're pretty freaking good. Especially if you look at some of the you know the schemes that will be going against each other and the ideologies offensively and defensively and from a special team standpoint, and even when to go and when not, when to kick and when not. 
There's some fantastic matchups. But Michigan handles business again. McNamara, it didn't have to be the prettiest. It was 20-27 for 130. Corum had 19 carries, 119 yards, two touchdowns. Michigan was just smooth. And Northwestern drops to 3-4, and four, a team that lost a lot. Lost a lot off of last year's team. Who beat a wounded Auburn in a bowl game after Gus Malzahn had been let go. So Michigan continues to roll. But somebody who did not roll, Penn State. Nine overtime loss. Now we have to understand, guys, that the new overtime is really just going for two <laughs> after you get uh, to the third. So it's not like it was like old school overtime, or that score would have been a whole heck of a lot different than 20 to 18. But if you're Penn State, and this question, you know, I got asked this question a lot Did they rush Sean Clifford back too soon? Did they rush him back too soon? And look, I'm not in that room. I mean, he was 19 of 34 for 165 and a tut. But he didn't look like the normal Sean Clifford. He didn't. He didn't. You could tell. Now, if he, was he is he your best option if he's ready to play? Yes. Did he say, hey, coach, I'm ready to play. I'm good. And the trainers say, well, you know, medically, he checks out enough to say that. Yes. But it just didn't. It just didn't didn't correlate on the field. You know, that magic, the escapability, uh, you know, being able to do the multiple things that you have to do to score points, even against an Illinois team that was two and five and one and three in the conference and really was struggling to do anything. Brett Breland coming off some comments he made about some players that were still there that, that weren't contributing. And, and look, you can look at that from either side of the prism, but they looked at it from a motivational side of the prism. I can promise you that. And Illinois fought their guts out. I mean, Illinois fought their guts up. They won a game where the two quarterbacks, Sitkowski went 8-19 for 38 yards in an interception. Washington was 0-2. Uh, but on a rushing standpoint, Brown went for 33 carries, 223 yards and a touchdown. And McCray went for 24 carries, 142 yards and a touchdown. The Penn State defense got ca carved up on the ground. Leading rusher for Penn State had 43 yards on 11 carries. 43 yards on 11 carries. Illinois kind of bullied Penn State. And the game still went in overtime. And a lot of people don't like the new overtime. They don't like it. I do. I do. Let's find out from the two and a half. Once we get past the, the, all right, we scored, you scored, you scored, we scored. We get to the third. All right, you have to go for two. Now you're just going for two every time. I mean, it makes for compelling television and endings to games. Compelling. Very compelling. So if you're Penn State, you're, you're out of the playoff race. You're, you're out of it can understand that. Clifford going to play. Got Ohio State next week. You can play spoiler. We knew the Big Ten was going to cannibalize itself. We just didn't know it was going to be Illinois sneaking up and taking a bite out of Penn State when they weren't looking, sitting around the fire. But you'd rather know now with Penn State. You'd rather know now. Because we were going to find out next week against Ohio State anyways. 
So, you know, I, I know Penn State fans are disappointed, but if I'm a Big Ten fan, I'm a little more disappointed. Because I'm looking around at the, at the way the conferences are shaking out right now, and I'll get to this in the end here in the second half of this. we still got to hit Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Oregon, UCLA. Notre Dame handled USC. Wake Forest stays unbeaten. And we'll get to that in one second. All right, everybody, as we get to the second half of this Sunday recap, I do want to peruse a couple of these other games before we talk about next week. Iowa State beating Oklahoma State at home covered the seven and a half. I could not believe that Oklahoma State was a seven and a half point dog going into this game. You got to take your hat off to Matt Campbell and Iowa State, though, finally getting a big win. There's a lot of preseason expectations for Iowa State. Uh, with Purdy, and I mean, he came through for 27 to 33, threw for over three bills, two touchdowns. Uh, Sanders, 15 to 24, 225, and three touchdowns. Uh, he had 29 yards on uh, on the ground as well. It was just, look, this was an old fashioned fist fight. It was. I mean, one team scored double digits in a quarter, and that was Iowa State scored 10 points in the third quarter. Uh, Iowa State got shut out in the first. Oklahoma State got shut out in the third. And this is kind of a mirror image game. There are a lot of similarities in these teams, the way they're constructed, kind of their identity, the way that they like to play the game. Uh, and Iowa State was able to score a touchdown there late to get to 5-2, and 3-1. and one. Oklahoma State, I, I didn't think it was going to run the table and be undefeated, but if you're the Big 12, you really wanted that undefeated Oklahoma State and Oklahoma matchup. So, therefore, you would at least have one undefeated team going in to the championship game. Now, Oklahoma State at 6-1, and one, looking like they're most likely out. And you've got to play Oklahoma. So, you could have a double spoiler situation kind of shaping up there towards the end of the season. But you got to take your hats off to Matt Campbell. Big win for Iowa State. They needed that. Big momentum win. You know, he's been a name that's been thrown around. Some NFL jobs that are coming open. I'm just not sure. Uh, I've been up there, spoke at you know their special teams coaching clinic and this, that, and the other, and they're great guys. They have a great staff. It's a great place. I just think it's a great fit for Matt Campbell. I mean, I think it's a perfect fit for him, and he's able to do it his way, which is all you can ask at a major program. But speaking of major programs, had two major programs in the Pac-12 facing off. Oregon goes to UCLA and wins 34-31. I was very surprised at this game at, at how high scoring it was. You know, I took the under at 60 and a half and it looked like, you know, kind of going, getting ready to go into halftime that that was going to have a good chance to hit. They dropped 21 in the fourth quarter, but Oregon overall, just tough. I mean, Mario Cristobal is a tough coach. That team's going to play to his identity. Losing Verdell Jr. We know was big, but Brown was able to go 29 to 39. He had 300 yards, did have the two interceptions and no touchdowns. Uh, but he, you know, helped this case rushing. I mean, he ran only six times, had almost 90 yards and a touchdown. But this Ole Miss offense and this Ole Miss team isn't going to wow you. You know, you're not going to get a ton of huge plays with this Oregon team. We all know, you know, that, that Dorian Thompson str had been struggling for UCLA. He wasn't horrible in this game. Uh only only completed 22 of 41 passes, you know, had a touchdown and interception. I just don't think he is as good as what everybody made him out to be before the beginning of the year. But Oregon needed this badly. They needed it badly. Really, the Pac-12 needed this badly. Because, again, if you look around the landscape right now, who in the Pac-12 really worries you? Or who do you see as a team 
that could just have a chance to get into the Final Four. I'm not even talking about doing anything when they get in because Oregon, to me, isn't isn't elite enough. And I know t- with Thibodeau and, and us, I just don't think they're elite enough. And really, outside of Georgia, and you can maybe say Alabama, who is elite? Who is elite? I mean, USC's not. You know, Notre Dame's a good team. I don't think they're the 13th best team in the country, but they handled USC. I mean, USC got 13 points at the end. I mean, they were trailing you know, 24 to 3 going into the fourth quarter. Got to make a big hire there. And is that James Franklin name looking as sexy now as it was, say, uh, two days ago, three days ago? I don't think that that Penn State and Illinois, I don't think the Illinois loss for Penn State will have an effect on whether Franklin, you know, gets the USC job, but it does take a little bit of the cachet out of it. You know, the, oh, well, you know, Penn State, big one against, now they could beat Ohio State next week at home, or excuse me, I think they go to Ohio State, but they could beat Ohio State next week and everybody says, oh, there it is. Future coach at USC. So, Again, there is no elite team in the Pac-12. I don't see an elite team in the Big 12. I don't see an elite team in the ACC. I think Ohio State has a chance to be elite in the Big 10, and we'll find out about a couple of those other teams once they square off. But the parity is not a parity this year in college football. And I want to get, because again, I know I've been kind of gassing this slate up for next week. This week wasn't the the greatest slate of games of all time, but whenever you have college football, it's a blessing, or football in general. But let's talk about some games we have next week because, you know, when we're forecasting and we're going to do our top 12 again and, and, you know, who's going to be where, but there's also a couple games that are very, very important to the landscape of this deal that I think everybody needs to see. So so let's start out with some of the, the, the biggest ones. Ole Miss at Auburn. 7 o'clock Eastern ESPN. Huge game for the SEC West. Huge. Right now, these are the two teams that look like they're fighting for at least the second place to have a chance to be in first place. Remember, Ole Miss has lost to Alabama already. We know that. Ole Miss went up there, got shut out the first half. Auburn gets Alabama at home and Jordan-Hare in the Iron Bowl, which we know is basically one scene away from The Conjuring. You just never know what's going to happen or what's going to pop out behind the door. Everybody's like, hey, let's split up. It's like that commercial. Hey, why don't we get into the running car when they're at like the, the farm of horrors? Guy's like, are you crazy? Let's go hide behind all the chainsaws in the shed. That's what that game's like, especially at Auburn. So I, and, and we'll talk about this all week. We're going to have Bo Nix on tomorrow. Uh, we'll be talking a ton of Ole Miss as well. Very interested to see how well Matt Corral can run around. Didn't get beat up too bad uh, in, the, in the game against LSU. Took some hits. We saw him. They're obviously confident enough for him to run a throwback or catch a throwback pass. I don't think Lane was just taking that chance to take it. So that's going to be a heck of a matchup in the SEC. You've got Michigan and Michigan State. Let, let, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. 7-0, and number six ranked Michigan, goes to East, Land, uh, East Lansing to face 7-0, and number nine ranked Michigan State. 
man. And those two places don't like each other. They do not like each other. Michigan refers to Michigan State as little brother. I know Michigan State does not like that, and they probably answer by referring to Michigan as some, let's just say, more explicit, or uh, explicitive, expletive, however you want to put it. Probably don't have kind words in remarks to that, but should be an absolute war. These teams are not flashy. They're not. Michigan may be a little bit more than Michigan State, but Mel Tucker is going to run the ball right at Michigan. And we're going to find out. We're going to find out. It's going to be a heck of a matchup in the Big Ten. Got Iowa going to Wisconsin in what, to me, just smells like a really, really boring game. And I hate that Texas is 4-3 and because this matchup at number 20 Baylor would be really, really good. It would be a really, really, really good matchup. It's it's really sad that we we don't get to see that Texas really hasn't been as as good as they usually are. You peruse too, really around the SEC. Uh, how could we forget Georgia and Florida? And I'm gonna get to that in a second. But there is a sneaky, sneaky game in the SEC this week. And surprise, it's not Missouri and Vanderbilt. Kentucky's got to go to Davis Wade Stadium and play Mississippi State. This is one if you're Kentucky. Earlier in the season, we talked about making your layups, and you did. Hung on at, at South Carolina, I think it was 16-10. to 10. Then you beat Florida. Handle your business. Now you've got to go, and Mississippi State really hasn't had a huge signal. They beat A&M earlier in the year when A&M was struggling, but Mississippi State really hasn't had that signature win yet this year. Number 15, Kentucky, cruising into town. Is this the one where Mike Leach, who if you haven't heard him talking about Halloween candy after winning the Vanderbilt game, you need to. He hates candy corn. I hate candy corn. Love it. Love to hate candy corn. And if you like it out there, that's fine. I just won't. I want no part of it. I want no part of it. But this Mississippi State-Kentucky game is sneaky, sneaky. You say, you say, why? Well, what happens if Kentucky loses? Well, if you look at the rest of Kentucky's schedule, okay, they have a legitimate chance to go 11-1. and And what happens? What happens? I like to start to a movie trailer. In a world. Or this summer. If Kentucky goes 11-1, and which is a possibility, They've already lost to Georgia. Georgia wins the East. Alabama plays Georgia in the SEC Championship and loses to get to two losses. And let's say Oklahoma has a loss and Oregon has a loss. Ohio State has a loss. you got to put them in, and Cincinnati goes undefeated. How is Kentucky not in the Final Four? How are they not? How are they not? Your only loss is at Georgia? So this, is, this has sneaky implications. Do not sleep on Kentucky and Mississippi State. And I know you guys won't sleep on Georgia-Florida, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're going to talk about it all week. But look, this is, Florida's going to get up for this one. You, you best believe that. Florida will get up coming off that terrible appearance against LSU. You, know, you look at the numbers right now. Picked Florida to finish fourth in the East. 
was called insane. They're four and three right now. They're four and three. So you are fighting for the life of lives. You drop this one, you go four and four. Whoo. Getting awfully interesting. Now, do I think Florida's going to win this game? No, I do not, but they'll get up for it. This won't be some cakewalk. Because they'll get up for it just like they got up for Bama. We talk about this all the time. And we will continue to talk about it. Because it's going to be a great matchup. And I will call it the world's largest cocktail party. I don't care what anybody says. That doesn't hurt anybody. That should not offend anybody. It's absolutely ridiculous that we can't say that. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, you scan the rest of the Pac-12. Not a ton going on. Uh, with Oregon playing Colorado at home. A Colorado team that's really struggling. Really struggling. I know, I know they had the big win. Uh, against Arizona, I believe, who that program is just an absolute unmitigated disaster. I think we can all agree, and it's sad to see. It really is sad to see. But there's some more good matchups here in the Big Ten. Nah, Wisconsin's going to be so boring to me. Penn State at Ohio State. All right, Penn State, you lost to Illinois. You want a chance to rebound and totally redeem yourself? Like when Harry decided to trade in the the dog van for the little scooter that got better mileage and he totally redeemed himself. This is that opportunity for Penn State. Now, are they going to do it? I don't think so. Ohio State. I mean, C.J. Stroud's playing really well. Now, this is the first, I guess you could say, the next biggest test outside of that Oregon game that Ohio State has had. But, man, they're they're hitting on all cylinders right now. They really are. They are hitting on all cylinders right now. So two big ones there in the Big Ten to keep an eye on. Uh, looking around the rest of the country, I mean, Kansas got to go to Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma gets Texas Tech at home. I don't see Texas Tech beating Oklahoma. But again, it's the Big 12. You never know. And if Oklahoma doesn't show up and, and they're not able to move the ball like they did in the first half, then you're going to see somewhat of a game. But we have got great shows for you this week. Uh, if you're not subscribed, to the J-Boy Show on the Volume YouTube channel. You need to make sure you do. I appreciate you guys listening to audio as well. Go to the thejboyshow.com. we got some great merchandise. Unbelievable week planned for you guys. From players coming on to coaches coming on to the top analysts and us breaking it down uh, in the green again on the picks this weekend, David Cohn coming through clutch. I believe he went 8-2. and two. Almost had the golden weekend. Uh, so we got to keep that going. So shout out to FanDuel. Shout out to the volume, Colin Cowherd, everybody involved. Make sure you go subscribe now and check out everything on the volume YouTube channel. Got a big weekend of college football coming up. Make sure you check us out. We'll talk to you soon. The volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.